Yes, indeed. We were here and we were live today on The Start. A lot of people taking the day off or get the day off in lieu of National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. But tomorrow is Election Day. So, of course, we had to come to work to discuss that and get you ready for that and preview that. And we hear from Global's David Aiken, who's covered all kinds of elections. And he had some pretty interesting thoughts about the kind of campaign that we have seen over the last few weeks. Global News Morning's Clay Young joined us to discuss the passing of CFL legend George Reed. Clay grew up a Riders fan, grew up in Saskatchewan, and it turns out he's got a couple of pretty incredible stories of encounters he's had with the football legend. And we had some fun asking you, what's a movie you watched when you were a kid that you should not have been watching? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Monday, October 2nd podcast, for the start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Monday, October 2nd. We are live today. Might be a bit quieter in the city today. Our friends at Global Winnipeg are also live today. So, yeah, we're t- we were just sort of chatting earlier. Like, how many people will be taking today off in lieu of? the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on Saturday. I'm uh, sure the, the rule is uh, it, it, like, there's no stat provincially, but if you're a federally regulated company, you're off, although there are some provincial workers. Almost all of them, as far as I know. off? Yeah. D- your kid's off school today? No, they're off tomorrow. They have election day off. They, oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. It is interesting. <laughs> they're voting? They're trying to get the vote out? They're I really love- after that grade six vote or I was what? trying to figure out if they're, you know, I went looking at all the school divisions. So first of all, if you're, if you're off today, let us know. We are curious, 780-6868, who might have today off and how you feel about having today off and what you maybe even did on September 30th in terms of the point of reflection reflecting on reconciliation. But when it comes to tomorrow being election day, I went looking at a lot of the school divisions. Not all of them are off tomorrow, but quite a few of them are. And that might be because there's voting happening in schools, but I oh. but I I don't remember having my kids have an election day off before. Yeah, I've been to lots of schools over the years to Where vote. Where the school still runs. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. So kids I, I don't know if there was yeah. a purposeful like I think Let's it just worked take out that PD way. Take a PD day so that the teachers can get out and vote, or I don't know what the case might be. But yeah. there's no. It's an odd thing to have a Tuesday off. Well, one of my kids has today and tomorrow off, and then the other one has neither day off. So, oh. whatever. It's kind of a hodgepodge right now. I think of who's expected to be at work today and who's not. If you're shopping and doing all that stuff, I think there might be somewhat modified hours. But I, I think it's business as usual for all that stuff. Is the, the the kid who's off, is yeah. he rubbing it in his brother's face? Not that I've noticed so far, but I suspect around 7.55 this morning, there might be some... <laughs> well, he won't even, he'll just be... Yeah, well... Snoring his yeah. way through his Monday morning. You know life in our house way too well, Loren. But Saturday was just a spectacular day for oh. National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Gorgeous weather. I was out in... Um, I went to Morden to golf at the majestic might of Minnewasta, and it was beautiful. It might have been the nicest day of the entire golf season. It was just a gorgeous day. I was here at work all day Saturday prepping for the election. So when I stepped back outside Saturday afternoon, I was like, come on, nicest <laughs> like fall day ever. And then yesterday, a bunch of us were at work doing the same thing. And I got home and I couldn't get over the heat yesterday. Like uh, when I got home, my husband was just coming back with a bike ride with the dog. And the, and I, I didn't realize how hot it was. 
And the dog was just, Moose was just like panting, like as if it was the hottest summer day. And I'm like, wow, October 1st, that's pretty incredible to have that heat. If the leaves on the trees and on the ground weren't red, orange, and yellow, you would have thought it was the perfect summer day on Saturday. It was absolutely spectacular, barely any wind. Uh, The sun was so warm, and I know thousands of people got out and participated in Truth and Reconciliation Orange Shirt Day festivities everywhere I went. People, whether they had been on their way or on their way back or not attending any of these celebrations at all, uh, orange T-shirts everywhere. Yeah, I'm just looking at the uh, the Weather Network app, and uh, the headline there is uh, October attempts to defy El Nino in Canada with atypical fall warmth. Uh, warm October to defy the odds in Canada. It looks like we are going to see a cool down midweek, but then like the long term forecast, two weeks out, 15, 16 degrees. I'll take it. Yeah. Is it Thanksgiving this weekend? Yeah, mon- so the next Monday. Thanksgiving Monday. I'm asking just because of the weather, right? It'd be nice if it wasn't. It feels like everything takes a turn on yeah. Thanksgiving. And, no and snowstorms in the forecast for Friday or why Saturday. Would you not, why would you say that right now? As <laughs> like, I, why? I'm comfortable with saying it. <laughs> why? Why not? There is some. <laughs> it's fact. Yeah, no snow, snow in the in the for, long term forecast. Why would Kathy, you even say that word, Kathy Kennedy? joins us at some point and utters Colorado low in the next three days. I will, I will eat my shoes, but at this point we're, we're very, very, we're okay for Friday and Saturday, 13, according to environment Canada for Friday, 10 for Saturday, Sunday is looking like sunshine and 14. That's the long-term long range forecast on uh, weather.gc.ca. So, of course, we will have much to discuss. It's the day before the election. We'll hear from Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, at 735 and Elections Manitoba at 805. And as Loren mentioned, uh, rehearsals over the weekend for the both of you. You're involved in our uh, combined 680 CJOB and Global Winnipeg coverage, which begins at 8 p.m. after the coaches show on Tuesday. There's That's so great. much technology involved right now. and we, we like to make sure we have all our our cameras and audio and different touch screens and computers and Don't scenarios. Don't touch the touch screen. Uh, and we have a fantastic, so starting at eight o'clock tomorrow night, uh, we'll go wall to wall with election coverage with uh, all our TV players. But of course, Greg's part of it. Hal Anderson, Julie Buckingham, Richard Cloutier, David Aiken, as you mentioned, and he's got like that crazy touch screen where he can zoom in on the different writings and draw on it. And I, I had some fun fooling around with that on Saturday and then it stopped working. So, <laughs> I stopped touching it. <laughs> Did you break it? No, I think what happened is that I was the last person to touch it. And then like 15 minutes later, they went in there and they're like, why isn't this thing working? And there was just uh-huh. some internet connection. Sure. But then I was like, oh boy, I hope I didn't do anything. I just was kind of fooling around on it. And then of course, for the rest of the day, it was like, don't let McNabb anywhere near that touchscreen. I don't know how much that, that, that monitor is worth. But I'll never forget the sign in an antique store in Victoria, B.C. once upon a time. Nice to look at. Nice to hold. (laughs) But if you break it, consider it sold. Are you having to take that monitor home with you now? And is there like a five-figure check uh, coming out of your account? Can you imagine the chores I can put on there? We're going to zoom in here. We're going to zoom in right here. You're going to do the dishes. You're going to do the dishes. We're going to hold it over here. We're going to go downstairs, downstairs. Let's go zooming into the downstairs. Downstairs, we're going to clean the basement. Clean the basement. I would just have a whole routine.
and uh, Mackling, you took advantage of the advance vote? I did. I went on Saturday, and I did not go to the advance poll within my riding. I went to one a little bit outside of my neighborhood, went in with my driver's license. I was in not and out. Not the voter out. card? No voter okay. card, just my license. It was smooth an operation, as you can imagine. I was in and out in about six minutes. I gave them my ID. I had to answer a couple of questions about where I'd lived, how long I'd lived there, uh, et cetera, if I'd voted. I can't remember if they asked me if I'd voted already. I don't even think they did because there's a computer there. They entered my information into the computer, and there was a little printer, printed out a UPC code that then went on my ballot. I marked my ballot, and then it went into the voter machine. So I assume that it read that UPC code, which then fed that information, not only recording my vote, but the fact that I had voted. And so if I'd gone somewhere else in the city and tried to do that again, I was already in the system as casting my ballot. So, so then you weren't folding it up and putting in those cardboard boxes. Oh, no. It was like putting it into a photocopier, very similarly uh, shaped and sized machine. And it slid right in and green check mark came. Yep. Your vote's been accepted. And that was that. Cool. Yeah. I thought about doing the advance vote, but when I looked at the, my voter card, it had a couple of suggested locations, like the closest ones to me. And, uh, and then I'll check the location that was on election day. And just like the the advance one was further away. So I thought, well, I'll just wait till election day because the one on election day is like a block away from where I live. Perfect. So just a bit of a shorter walk. And But to what you were mentioning last week, Loren, there, you know, how you like to wait until election day. I was talking, one of my buddies said the exact same thing. He's like, no, I'm going to wait till election day. I just, I don't know. It's kind of fun. I like to... To it's do like it day. on the day. Like it's not like it's my birthday and I'm all excited there's something in that respect, but I feel like that energy. That said, we're going to bring on Elections Manitoba at eight, but the record turnout in advance voting means that there was potentially hundreds of thousands of people who already cast their ballot over the last week. And so that feeling, like it might be different tomorrow if we have so many people voting in advance polls, that means I won't, maybe maybe I'll walk in tomorrow and be the only one or one of 10 versus one of 20 or 30 or, or that kind of thing, right? Well, yeah, we know that there are 866,000 eligible voters in Manitoba. As of Friday, the number of Manitobans who had advance voted was 150,000. I think the number got close to 200,000. So yep. that's a quarter of eligible voters. And so if and you get, only half voted last time, 55%. Well, this is where so, I was going. If you get to even to a 60% voter turnout, that means slightly over half of people who intend to vote or are likely to vote in this election overall have already done so. And I know part of the philosophy is, or the thought is that the more, People who vote in these advanced poll, the more likelihood of change. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I know that's part of, you know, the whole political philosophy and trying to figure out where this thing is going. I know that's part of the formula. I don't think it's translated into a high voter turnout in years past, nor does it necessarily translate into change. But I know in 2016, only 100,000 and change used the advanced polls and we've almost doubled that. This time around, but again, like the sheer plate number, I feel like everywhere I went this on uh, this past week had a voting place. Like yeah. they were just felt like they were everywhere. 
I think maybe it's great. maybe I was just at the right, you know, passing the right spots and malls and that kind of thing, but it just felt like there was a, a lot of opportunity. They clearly did their homework. Where is Loren McNabb likely to <laughs> be? Yeah, I know I'm voting. You don't need to appeal you know, to me. She's she's uh, Joan Lunchpail, so <laughs> let's uh, make sure we have voting locations wherever Loren McNabb might be. We're going to capture a lot of people. I will be down at, I'm trying to remember the name, uh, one of the polling stations tomorrow. If you're voting, I think it's on Corden. I'm going to. Oh, yeah? Uh, I'm hoping to be live. Like the, the, is it the Crescent For the show tomorrow. I think it's Crescent. You know, like this the is what happens. Center? Keep Keep talking. I'll keep looking. Crescent Wood Community Center. That, that was actually where I was going to have my wedding social. That's right. <laughs> uh, before I had to call them a week ahead of time and say, um, not happening. Sorry. Did you lose but, a deposit on that? Oh, yeah. 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 We lost a lot of stuff. But better to lose a deposit than have a social that wasn't going to go anywhere. They should make voting more like a social, like with a meat shoulder. Shoulder, whatever, like some salami and a couple of DJs there. And we weren't even allowed to once upon a time serve alcohol on election day in the restaurant restaurant oh, business. Yeah. There was no booze until eight o'clock on election day. On election day, that's right. Mm-hmm. How long? Central Court and Community Center, <laughs> Sir John Franklin. Okay, oh. is that not where you had your wedding social? Uh, I'm not sure if they've changed the name. Okay, I don't know. Well, I'm I really just yeah, because they amalgamated a bunch of those under one umbrella, and then they would have the Crescentwood site or the like. Isaac Brock Community Center is actually, I think, they've got the main one, and then there's like three, two other satellites that's uh, on Clifton oh, or okay. at Orioles. They, they've changed the the model there, but you know, whatever, Loren, you're going to be out there. That's the goal. But you know what? The way my brain's working right now, I tried to search where I was going to be tomorrow, Brett, and searched Brett. That's why it took me so long. <laughs> typing <laughs> well, what you hear? I'm, I'm typing <laughs> what I'm looking at. That's where my brain is today. Where am I going tomorrow? I'm going to Brett. <laughs> Oh, I've actually, when I told the story this morning, I realized twice in the last month I've done this. I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. And twice I have just like tiredly on a Friday night abdicated parenting response. You know, you just make poor decisions because you're also tired. And I've let them watch movies that really no one their age should watch. Um, Cocaine Bear, it's not for children. And then Scream. (laughs) The original Scream. Oh, oh boy. It's a good movie. Which is scary for, yeah. was for me. And then I fell asleep. And I wake <laughs> up and they're just sort of staring at the, you know, the credits. And I was like, did we just watch the whole thing? Oh, gosh, go to bed. And then that led to a few interesting, not fully sleep Go nights. to sleep, kids. Yeah. <laughs> good night. <laughs> so the question then is, what's a movie that you watched when you were young, when you were a kid, that you definitely should not have been watching? So, Mackling, why don't we start with you? Well, I just texted my brother uh, about a half an hour ago. Didn't you have nightmares after we watched this certain movie? Tell me more about that. He says, I did, but I don't know that I have a memory of any more than having nightmares when I watched. I will destroy you. All of you. You kids. Wait for it. We've got to get out of here. I don't believe it! Yes, you can believe it. And now on NBC's Saturday Night at the Movies, 
Kiss meets the Phantom. <laughs> Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. And that would have been 1978. I was nine. My brother was seven. We were all about Kiss, but for whatever reason, my brother Kevin did have nightmares after I'm waiting for the full report. Uh, really? But, but he, he acknowledges, admits, remembers, yes, I did have nightmares based on that movie. <laughs> It was just so bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it was. It was terrible. It was a nightmare for the last two and a half hours watching that on NBC. What was yours, Cam? Uh, I got the cl- a clip there. Go for it. Oh. God. This. Oh, here we go. Is God. Nightmare before Elm Street. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. Um, my uncle was waiting and waiting and waiting to watch this with us because he was like looking to. Uh, he we really wanted us to be scared, and so, anyways, we went to bed afterwards. And then he's on the door with his claw, <laughs> like with his hand <laughs> scraping on it. Um, yeah, and it's like you're afraid to go to sleep. Like it hits you right where you are as a kid. You're 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 afraid to go to sleep. And yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. That one, that one was that was a bad one for me. I was I was too young to watch that. I must have been like nine or ten or something like That's that. That's Freddy Krueger, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. It, it, it like I love horror movies now, but at the time, uh, yeah, I, I I had to grow into enjoying being scared, which is kind of a weird thing. My mom used to do that after I, we watched scary movies. She'd go out and start scratching the screen on my window <laughs> uh, to freak me out. No. Uh, Oh really? yeah, yeah. She did that. At dirt. She got me a couple of times. We watched also watched Stephen King's Silver Bullet, oh. which is a werewolf movie. And I think I was nine or ten, maybe eight, whatever. Um, and it was scary, and I was really scared. So she goes in after the movie into the laundry room because we had a we had an extra fridge in the basement just to grab a coke or something. And then she screams. Ah! The werewolves got me! So I immediately jumped on my dad and clung to him. And I'm bawling my brains out. She comes out She comes out and is laughing at me. My dad says, what the F is wrong with you? Like, That's funny. Kudos to mom. Yeah, my, my, my Uncle Mark genuinely enjoyed doing that. And I probably will do it to my nephews and nieces. I, I'll probably get a kick out of it, too. All of a sudden, sick cra- like that. All of a sudden, cracking an egg on a kid's head doesn't seem quite is mean (laughs) (laughs) Sarah what about you this is absolutely not a scary movie but it was to me at the time and one thing I do not like at all zombies welcome to zombie land Mm. my mother always told me someday you'll be good at something I mean I don't think she could have guessed that that something would be zombie killing <laughs> Zombie kill of the week. Whoa. Well, these fellas really let themselves go. <laughs> to be fair, I was like 10 years old when this came out. But and it was the, this one friend we would always watch these bad movies together. So it was just the influence of this one. My friend. takeaway right now is I think all of your stories go back to when you were nine or ten. Real? Yeah. So this seems to be like actually the no. normal time to which kids watch. So yeah. I shouldn't feel like I was a bad parent no. at all. It's when you want to be good. like older than you are, uh, but you really aren't. You're still just 
Yeah. yeah. You want to be, well, you like, be, be a brave hero. The 12-year-old yeah. yeah. I wasn't stressed about watching, but when you're, you're 10, you know, you, something about that 10 feels like you're still like so little. Yeah. You shouldn't let yeah. this happen. Barely double digits. Fortune, what about you? Well, mine was back when I was probably around 10, maybe 11, and uh, I was over at my uh, best friend's place, and uh, his dad, he's a religious guy, uh, wanted to show us a film. Oh, goody. Oh, yeah. Such a good movie. Yeah, well, he, his dad told us that uh, he either witnessed an exorcism being performed or he performed one himself. Like, he's a really religious guy. And so, yeah, he showed us the movie just to show us, like, this is what an exorcist is. And oh. so... Uh, yeah, my, it was educational. Yeah. Yeah. A documentary. Yeah. Oh, jeez. My mom was not impressed. And, uh, you know, I, I acted like... You know, I, I could handle it, and I handled it, and but uh, at night, I was so afraid my bed was going to start shaking. Hey, by the way, the new mm-hmm. Exorcist movie opens this upcoming weekend, The Exorcist mm-hmm. Believer. Uh, so I'm looks quite good. excited for that. Yeah, it, it looks, looks good. great. So in the meantime, tell us about a movie you watched as a kid, a movie you should not, absolutely should not have been watching. For a chance to win tickets for Heebie-Jeebies, we'll pick our winner at 9.15. In the meantime, Global News with Sarah McCarthy coming up next on The Start. asking you about a movie you watched when you were a kid that you definitely should not have watched, whether it was inappropriate, perhaps for, say, sexual content, um, or it was it turned out to be a movie that was just too scary for you to handle. Like, I got one that was a little bit of both, actually. I went to a buddy's birthday party. I think it was his ninth birthday party. And the movie that we watched was Creep Show 2. Oh, no. So it's uh, it wasn't a full 90-minute story. It was three short stories. And there was gore, and there was nakedness, mm-hmm. which, of course, you know, all the, all the boys were like, yeah, this is awesome. But then I, when I got home and told my mom, uh, my parents, well, what did you watch? And I told him about this movie, and my mom was livid. He's like, she got it, gets on the phone and calls his mom. Like, what are you thinking? Letting kids watch this movie? Hang on, the same mom that would scare you after yep. a scary film <laughs> called another mom to what call her doing? out on. It's fine on her watch, but not on someone else's watch, I guess. You know, the thing about, I was, I don't know if horror movies are still like this. I do watch them, but I, I feel like the ones from the 80s, all were way had way more nudity in them and sex like you oh, yeah. like because it was basically part of the plot do not go to the outhouse or you'll die yeah and do not lose your virginity or you'll die yeah it was like a weird pretty much it terrible messaging very <laughs> gratuitous and i think that that stuff has all but been eliminated from most of the movies that I see these I'll days. I'll have to take your word for it i just uh, i it's not my genre it's not the road i go down typically but Yeah, Scream. I love Scream. It's one of my favorites, actually. Clint B. with a blast from the past for me. He says a movie I shouldn't have watched as a kid was Mr. Boogity, made by Disney. I still have those nightmares, and I am 43. It was a made-for-television film, uh, Mr. Boogity, and then there was a follow-up film called The Bride of Boogity, Hmm. if memory serves. Now, they were fun movies, but they were pretty scary. Like, I was, I, I, that's, 
Clint, I'm with you. Those movies scared me too. And to the point where I believe they're available on Disney Plus. Oh, interesting. And I kind of want to go back and rewatch them, but there's a part of me that's scared. <laughs> well, it's the, I remember, I, I don't think it was the original Oz, but was there a second one with the wheelies? Like those monkeys that oh, flew? Oh, yeah. And yeah. they had the wheels that they'd chase you around in. That caused nightmares in our home growing up. Which was one was Return that? Oz, I think. Return oh, of Return. Oz. Okay. It was a terrible film, but the wheelies, I think, were they called wheelies? Am I making I that up? I think they were. No, I think that's what they were called. That sounds right. Yeah, we've talked. Yeah, wheelers. Wheelers. Yeah. Oh, wheelers. Yeah. Okay. In the 1985 film Return to Oz, they are a group of bizarre human-like beings with wheels for hands and feet. <laughs> They're creepy. Look they that are. up if you don't know. That was they were creepy. Trying oh, to capitalize yeah. on the roller skating craze of the mid 1980s. <laughs> That's what was going on there. So continue, just let us know at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win those tickets. Here's one this listener says, um, we watched Candyman when we were young girls. Mm. It typically had birthday parties. And yeah, that's when that movie came out. I think I was already a teenager at that point, and even then, it scared me. And I recently rewatched it actually because I wanted to watch the new one, so I watched the old one as well. And yeah, that is definitely not something that young kids should be watching. It's weird how some of those things are almost scarier when you rewatch them as an adult because you remember the fear you had when you were young, and you remember that moment and how it stuck with you, like it. I still don't want to watch it ever again. Which uh, either of them? The new ones aren't as scary as the old, the original. It like the miniseries that was on television. No, there was. A, didn't they redo it? Because there was a two parter. Tim, Tim Curry played Pennywise. Yeah. Uh, so that was like a made for television miniseries. Oh, but wasn't there just a just theatrical, a theatrical release, release in the last handful of years? Yeah, in the last few years they they had they had two. They had it it chapter one and it chapter yeah, two. Yeah, those so ones aren't scary like the one. The, the 1981 or 1990. Yeah. The original clown there. I would agree. Yeah, the, the, the first, I thought the, the remake of the, the first one was kind of scary. But part of the problem is those movies use a lot of CG effects. And I find that uh, if the CG is noticeable in a scary movie, for whatever reason, particularly with scary movies, it takes me right out of the yeah, scene. You, 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 re- you realize it's not real. Yeah. Which is, of course, it's none of it's real. But who who walks by a grate now, like a storm grate, to the sewers, and either you're thinking of the t- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the clown grabbing your arm. Every year when when we when the 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 water freezes and they they craft those trails on the Assiniboine and the Red River, there are spots where the water is below the culverts that stick out. Yeah, and I, there I, there's a part of me that wants to like attach a red balloon <laughs> to <laughs> one of those culverts and Just maybe put a clown mask. Out? Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, hey kids, do you want a balloon? <laughs> Uh, oh, Porky's. Listeners saying Porky's. Yep, that's a movie you probably shouldn't be watching when you're For a kid. different reasons there. <laughs> 204-780-6868. The movies you watched when you were a kid that you definitely should not have been watching for a chance to win tickets for heebie-jeebies.
And from the looks of things at this point, all the leaders will be in Winnipeg. So Liberal leader Dougal Lamont, he's going to kick things off with an announcement in his own riding of St. Boniface. He's working to hang on to that seat. NDP leader Wab Canoe will be in a riding his party is hoping to take back from the Tories. But there might be a couple announcements from them today. And then, of course, progressive conservative leader Heather Stephenson, who hasn't held a media availability in Winnipeg for at least a week now. Well, she's expected to release her fully costed platform later today, Greg. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, is in Winnipeg, and he will be part of our election broadcast kicking off right here on 680 CGOB and Global Television tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. David joins us now. Good morning, David. Yeah, beautiful, sunny Winnipeg. Thanks, guys, for the great weather. It's uh, fantastic. <laughs> it's not our fault that you had to be inside all day on Saturday. If you, yeah, you know. it was a great weekend, wasn't it? It's just uh, today's Monday. is looking a little, uh, little, little uh, moist. Well, it's a little gloomy, and uh, maybe that's apropos because uh, we got to kind of lock down here and uh, wrap our heads around this election. In terms of Winnipeg and geography, we were doing some rehearsals uh, yesterday and Saturday, and your knowledge of Winnipeg geography and where the key ridings are is uh, pretty impressive. On Tuesday night, I expect the Perimeter Highway is going to be a reference point more than once as the votes start to come in, David. Yeah, well, I mean, in any election in Manitoba's history, I mean, uh, sort of the ball game is in Winnipeg. You win Winnipeg, uh, the odds are pretty good you're going to form the government. We don't expect a lot of change. I don't think the parties expect a lot of change in, uh, say, the southeast of the province. I do have my eye on at least one of the Brandon seats. Brandon East, I know, is going to be hotly contested. Um, and the NDP, even if they do pick up a whole lot of seats in Winnipeg, they probably still have to win something somewhere else. Maybe Dauphin, Brandon East, something along those lines. But um, but yeah, I, I, it's, I'm really looking at what I call the, uh, the the blue wall of cabinet ministers. If you sort of draw a U-shape, you're going to go through a bunch of ridings where cabinet ministers are defending themselves, maybe starting with Radisson up in sort of the uh, the northeast of the, the city, sort of working your way down Southdale. Audrey Gordon, the health minister, I think she's going to be in a tough fight. You get to react. Fort Richmond, then sort of zoom around through the ridings that uh, the Tories likely hold. I mean, everything has to go wrong for uh, the Tories to lose uh, Fort White and the Premier's riding uh, in um, in Tuxedo. And then you get around to, I think, you know, Kirkfield Park, Kevin Klein. He's been, you know, what's really, I have found odd about this campaign. Kevin Klein has been featured more than the Premier. Um, you know, I, I, it seems like I look every day, he's fronting a press conference and Heather Stephenson, I'm great to hear she'll be out today, but you're right, uh, Loren, where's she been? I mean, it's not like she's been avoiding the media and doing rallies that end up on somebody's Facebook page. You just haven't seen her at all, which is just, uh, you know, okay. I'd be very curious after this campaign to have that uh, strategy explained to me. I really haven't seen that before. Yeah, the last few days for sure, posts on their social media feed have had her in rural Manitoba, Nipua, and in a First Nations community on Saturday. So there, it's kind of been a, a Winnipeg avoidance scenario. And, and look, your home base is Ottawa, but you cover politics all over this country, elections both provincial and federally, from the outside looking in, I mean, there's the inner workings of the campaign. There's the what might happen tomorrow night. But just how would you describe what you've been seeing as you watch everything unfold over the past few weeks? Well, you you can you don't need the polls to tell you don't need polls to tell you how the campaigns themselves think they're doing. The NDP has run a very disciplined campaign. We haven't seen a switch in strategy from the beginning. As we've heard from uh, the NDP leader, Wab Canoe, this is all about health care. He has campaigned every week in front of a hospital. He's, so, so the campaign 
had a game plan. It stuck to its game plan, and clearly whatever it was learning at the doors and in its own polling, it, it didn't need to change that game plan. And now it's a question of execution. Did they get their vote out? We've seen a big advance poll turnout. Um, high vote turnout generally means uh, a change election. Low voter turnout um, usually means the incumbent is likely to win. In Ontario, that just the last Ontario election, really abysmally low turnout. And actually, that's what the incumbent PCs wanted, and they won. That's Doug Ford's government in Ontario. So we'll see here. There's There's been big advanced vote turnout. Does that mean a change election? And meanwhile, on the other side, the Tory side here, you know, we saw that ad that was up and then pulled this sort of black and white ad a vote, um, you know, in secret, in the dark, uh, you, which was is, um, for the PCs. Don't tell your neighbors. Don't be bullied. Um, that was the message. That is a campaign saying, yeah, you're probably embarrassed about us and uh, please vote for us anyway. I've I cannot, I, I've never seen an ad like that that essentially admits you're probably embarrassed about the way we conducted our business here, but can you vote for us instead? Don't tell your neighbors, don't tell your friends, just, you know, hide your head and vote for us. Uh, that That's pretty clear indication how that campaign thinks it's doing. I don't think it's doing very well, and, uh, and, and you know, they may not prevail uh, come uh, the end of, end of the day Tuesday. Yeah, that ad that you referenced, it came out, I think, late Saturday we were seeing it, and it actually was voiced by Kevin Klein. You mentioned his name earlier. It wasn't even the uh, leader of the party's voice behind that. It was, it was Kevin, and so it's fascinating to see how they've taken that. Do you have – do you get asked this every time, uh, predictions, David? Well, I mean, I do, sure. I mean, we're, as I say, I think the, what's in the air? A change election. Uh, four years ago, I was here, you know, hanging around Portage and Maine with you guys. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of figured, eh, it looks like Palliser's going to win a majority. How big will it be? Um, and so that was the story. Same thing four years before that on Palliser's first majority. But change elections, you can definitely feel something's a little bit different. And, um, and I think there's a very good chance that, uh, the, uh, New Democrats, uh, end up winning the most seats uh, tomorrow night. Um, again, the, the path to victory for New Democrats a little narrower than the path to victory for the PCs because the PCs have, they sort of start with this natural advantage of, you know, 20 seats or so uh, in the Southeast and um, most of the Southwest. The NDP will have those four ridings in uh, Northern Manitoba. That, that's just a head start of four. So, uh, so again, the NDP does have to they do have to defeat ministers, and uh, and I think they're going to defeat, you know, three or four for sure. Uh, they probably need to defeat uh, eight or nine um, before uh, they can call themselves a government. Yeah, so yeah, I think th- I think there's there's a definitely change. Election is in the air, so I'm excited. I, <laughs> as a reporter, you know, that's that's the more fun story is change. What does it mean? Um, then, uh, oh boy, here we go with another majority for whoever it might be. And in terms of the, just a follow-up question on the campaign, this seems to me that this campaign is like dirtier than what I'm used to seeing, at least in in our province, in this country, you know, but that seems to be just politics getting dirtier. But have you ever seen a campaign this nasty? Well, I've seen a lot of of campaigns run negative ads, and there's a a good use for negative ads. I, I, I get that. Um, I understand that, that you have to convince an electorate not to vote for somebody, perhaps before you can make the case to vote for somebody. But no, I got to tell you, I don't think I've anything, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that's really as brutal as the PC campaign has been in the last week in terms of trying to 
um, you know, pretty much smear the um, the names of some individual candidates, not just Wab Canoe, but also some other uh, New Democrats. And so, um, well, if that's uh, what you got to do, I mean, I always say if, if partisans partisans want your team to win, and if that's what you think you got to do to win, well, knock yourself out. But on the other hand, can you really walk around and hold your head held and have your head? held high if you're a campaigning progressive conservative, if you're a volunteer for the PC campaign, do you really feel good about what Party HQ has cooked up for you to hand out as a leaflet, these these smearing attacks? I don't know. I, uh, I think I'm not sure that Party HQ has had that in mind about um, what its volunteers are thinking, um, what its volunteers want to talk about. Um, certainly there's some. I mean, it, 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 look at Rajan Caron, the, the, the opponent to Wab Canoe in Fort Rouge. I mean, that's been her campaign. Just constantly call Wab Canoe names. That's it. No more. And she's been out to just be the, you know, a, a stick to, to beat him up. And it, then it looked like the PC campaign said, well, maybe she's onto something and let's do this province wide. So yeah, it's been pretty brutal for the PCs for the last week. If they win, we'll go, oh, I, I guess that's how you win campaigns. I'm not so sure I see, again, I'm not so sure I see a campaign that thinks it's going to win when I look at ads like that. That's a more of a, we got to do something to stop the bleeding kind of uh, uh, approach. And David, before we let you go, you know, in our, in our jobs, we get to play with some pretty fancy toys. You've got the touchscreen as part of uh, your role in this. Is, is When you get to use that thing, is there part of you that's like, man, this is neat? Yeah, it is, and we've been using it for a few years, sort of at the federal level, and in and in, uh, and in some uh, some other provincial elections. Great that we're firing it up for the first time in our uh, Manitoba coverage. Um, it, it, it's a, I mean, it is one election, but at the end of the day, uh, it is, after all, sort of fifty-seven. Did I get that right? Can I get that number right? Fifty-seven individual ridings, and so, and they're in in specific geographies. People vote in their neighborhood, and I think that's the best way to sort of visualize. Um, an election to see how neighborhoods and adjacent ridings um, are either staying blue, uh, turning orange, um, turning red. I mean, that's we didn't talk about that. That's the other thing I think is fascinating in this election is what decisions do those who voted liberal four years ago when it was sort of a, you know, you could vote for liberal for free because a new Palestry was going to win in any event. This time around, if you vote liberal, you know, Dougal Lamont's been saying, you can still get change, but I think a lot of people who voted Liberal four years ago saying, you know what, if I vote Liberal this time, I'm going to split that opposition vote in the PCs, and I'm probably going to get a PC government, so maybe I should vote for the NDP. And what's fascinating is, at the federal level, that's what Justin Trudeau does to New Democrats. He tells New Democrats federally, oh, if you don't vote Liberal, you'll get those nasty Conservatives. And here in Manitoba, it's the reverse. Wab Canoe is saying to Liberals, if you don't vote for the NDP, you'll get those... Uh, nasty conservatives. So that that movement, and there's a lot of liberal voters out there, that if they move to the NDP, I think that will be curtains for uh, the PC government. If they stay and vote for the liberals, you know, liberals get three seats, maybe four in their wildest dreams, but it's probably a PC government. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, joining us live in Winnipeg. David, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys, and make sure to vote. asking you about movies you saw when you were a kid that you definitely should not have been watching. And Rum Hut Kevin says the year was 1980. A young Rum Tree Fort Kevin was eight. My uncle was watching me and my two brothers for the evening. My parents told him not to watch anything scary. Well, we sure didn't. I learned that evening all about music, pot, 
and hippies. <laughs> Dave's not here, man. Roman Kevin says I've been a fan of Cheech and Chong ever since. <laughs> there you go. That's a that's a good uncle story. That, that's typical uncle story. Um, I still feel like there'd be a lot of questions to mom and dad when they get home. No doubt about it. But uh, you know, without an uncle or a cousin who introduced you to ACDC, Cheech and Chong, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where would you be? And then Mike says the movie Child's Play, as much as it was. Like every slasher horror movie, but that one got me the most. That was That's the first Chucky? one with Chucky. Chucky, yeah. that is that, the first one with Chucky. Was, okay. That ruined dolls for a lot of people uh, for years. Like yeah. some dolls are just... You find them so creepy, well, right? Well, that's a so. genuine phobia for a lot of people. Dolls, mascots, clowns. That's a genuine phobia for more people than you realize. Yeah, that was a good one. And then Mike adds that uh, I used to, after seeing that movie, I would hide my toys at night. Lest they come alive and take them out. <laughs> It's the last full day on the campaign trail. And then tomorrow, starting at 8, you can head to the polls. Of course, as we now know, tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of you have already marked your ballot in advanced voting. Michael Ambrose is with Elections Manitoba. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So advanced polls close Saturday. Do we have the final totals for how many people came out in this week of advanced voting? Yeah, we do. Uh, there were over 200,000 people who voted in advance. The, the final number was 200,790. That is And how does that compare to previous years? I feel like that's almost double, say, one or two elections ago. You know, not quite double, but in 2019, there were about 113,000. Yeah, so it's in that realm, 85, 90% larger number, Michael. Just in the last election, what did we see for voter turnout and can you, can you give us an idea of what is typical for a provincial election in our province? Uh, 2019 saw uh, about 55% uh, turnout, which is um, comparable to the last, you know, five or so elections going back to 2003. So if we've got a couple hundred thousand people that have already voted out of that 866, I believe is the number you gave us, Last week, we're getting close to almost half of the people that are likely to vote have already voted in this election. Is that is that fair math? You know, if if the overall turnout remains consistent, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Now, some new technology has been added this year, like uh, scanners for voter information cards, vote counting machines to scan and record ballots. So, uh, tell us about the the count. Like, how does it work? So. Uh, the majority of ballots will be going through the vote counting machines, and then at the close of polls on election day, we'll run a report that gives us the tally of votes. Um, there is still an aspect of manual count uh, on election night as well. Which ones are manually counted, Michael? <clears throat> uh, the, the ballots that don't go into the vote counting machines. So there are some locations that don't have vote counting machines. Um, some of the non-resident, the out-of-ED advanced votes will be counted manually as well. And so are those, there's sort of been some discussion about when those get counted. Have they been counted already? Will they get counted last? Can you give us an idea on the sequence of events there, Michael? Uh, No votes can be counted before the close of polls on election night. And then the count, um, it will be happening in, you know, it's like a parallel process. So we run the reports off the machines and then we have teams of people counting the ballots manually at the same time. So does that mean we get results faster or might, would it change the way we might get things? I know this has been done in other provinces. So is there a possibility, you know, technology is great. Technology can also have uh, flaws sometimes too, in terms of, you know, if, if things just aren't working the way you want them to. 
Yeah, we are expecting the results to be quicker this uh, this election. So we're, we're expecting them to start coming in within 60 to 90 minutes after the close of polls. And that's um, <clears throat> especially noticeably quicker when it comes to large amounts of advanced votes. And I know we asked you about this last week, but just as a reminder for, for somebody who might want to participate but isn't sure if they want to cast a vote for anybody in, on their ballot, what is the, 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 the way to reject, like formally reject your ballot? Voters do have the option of declining their ballot uh, to do that. They would take their ballot in the regular way and then just um, leave it blank, make no selections, and return it to the ballot box. And if someone were to, say, scratch their ballot... Uh, those would be counted in separate categories, right? That's right. Um, A ballot that doesn't show the voters' clear intention with a mark would be counted as rejected. Michael, uh, I voted in the advance polls on Saturday. I found the process extremely quick, very efficient. Uh, On voting day tomorrow, on election day, do I need to have my voting card? And if I don't have my voting card, what will be the procedure? What will I need to have with me? If you have your voter, if you have your voter information card, bring it. It'll make it a bit faster to find you on the voters list. Uh, you don't need it though. Um, all voters do need to show ID, so that's either one piece of government-issued photo ID with uh, their address, or really two any any two other pieces. All right, Michael Ambrose with Elections Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks for having me. It is eight eleven with Mackling McGarry McNabb. You can react. To this at 204-780-6868, 200,000 people. That's impressive. And I think Greg's math is interesting. You know, first of all, it doesn't always translate into a high voter turnout overall. We've been hovering around that 55% territory. But it's interesting to think when you think only, say, 400,000 plus vote anyway and half decided to do it. Ahead of, ahead of time. I think that's fascinating. No question about it. I don't know what it indicates. No. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I just like the math. I don't know what it means at all. I but. love the math. And uh, anytime more people are getting involved in the political process and the decision-making process about who's in charge of running our province, our country, our city, I'm all for that. Uh, more voters, the better. It was the Brady Oliveira show on Friday. Oliveira motions back into the backfield. Kalara straight drop. Dumps it off. It's, it's Oliveira stiff arming, keeping his feet for the touchdown. Should have been dropped at the three, but Brady will not be stopped. Yeah, that was an incredible job by Brady Oliveira. It looks like he was going to be about three yards short of the end zone. Gets the stiff arm out there, slips off of it. And just an incredible piece of determination by Brady Oliveira to get the first score. So Brady ended the night with 169 yards rushing, 25 carries. He has 1,359 yards on the season and is on pace to finish the year with 1,630 yards on the season, which would be the third most in Blue Bomber history. In 1991, Robert Mims ran for 1,769 yards. Is that record within reach? Christian O'Mell hosts the 680 CJB Sports Show, member of our Jets and Blue Bomber coverage teams. Joining us now, Christian, good morning. Hello. So Oliveira would need to average, he's averaging just over 90 yards rushing per game right now. He would need to average 137 yards per game in his final three games to break the Mims club record. Is that within the realm of possibility in your mind? 
I don't think it is because I don't think he's probably going to I, – I, I hesitate to think he's going to play the last game, right? I don't Whether the Blue Bombers come first or second in the West, that last game seems like it probably won't matter, but maybe it will. Like It's, it's quite possible that it, that it could, but I'm thinking – the Bombers go into BC on Friday. They oh, Sully just lied on my face. They win that game, <laughs> and his tail's whacking me. In the Does neck, that dude. mean you're doing Come this on. interview lying down, Patrick Liney? Yeah, of course I am. Okay, just want to make sure. <laughs> I woke up like ten minutes ago. Come on. Um, so I think I uh, yeah I, I I don't know if he's going to play the last game. That would be the hesitation. I think if if he's within you know 160 yards going into the last game, is that something he wants? Maybe, but. I think that depends entirely on the standings and whether or not that last game matters. So, Christian, we know the Argos sat their starting quarterback. He wasn't the only starter they arrested. We had Gary, our listener, texting just now saying, I thought Friday night's football game was great. We really showed the third stringers of Toronto Argonauts what it all what it's all about. And then Gary adds it. Ah. So there are fans out there who were actually disappointed by that 10-point victory. What do you make of that? Is that fair? No, because the Argos sat like four or five guys not 30 right the Argonauts won the Grey Cup last year and we're off to a 12 and one start with you know most of the guys that played on Friday sure the guys that didn't play were very important players including Chad Kelly let's make that clear but the reality is most of that defense still intact most of that offense still intact Uh, so I, I think we maybe short drifted Toronto just a bit going into the game Friday I'm I'm part of that too being like, oh, they don't have Chad Kelly. They all won't have a chance. Like, well, they still have a lot of other good players. And we saw that. Winnipeg was tested big time. And they couldn't get into the end zone, right? Sergio Castillo kept having to hit field goals over and over again. And the Bomber defense stepped up after a bit of a slow start, right? 14-7. And Toronto offensively didn't really do a whole lot after that. So you credit the, the Blue Bomber defense. There have been a number of home games where they've started slow and the defense has had to really ratchet it up. And they've done that. Uh, you know, they end up winning by 10. They end up covering the spread. They end up getting the over barely in all those cases. But, uh, you know, you play to win the game and they got it done. Perhaps not unsatisfactory for some people. But the reality is, I think we're just spoiled now because the Bombers are just, we're so used to them winning and winning big that when they eke out a 10-point win, they're, we're like, ah, that's not great. They, they're 11-4 and four again, right? They're, they're really good still. So I think the... the Winning has spoiled us a bit in what I think our expectations are of this team. Now switching to hockey, the Winnipeg Jets have essentially sent their roster, set their roster following some moves over the weekend. Who should fans expect to not to be seen in the lineup tonight versus Calgary? So there's some injuries the team is dealing with, and that's been a little unfortunate, but uh, we, we know that Nikolai Ehlers is unfortunately not going to play. He hasn't played really at all. Uh, this preseason, he got hurt in the gym early on in training camp and has not played a game yet. We were hoping last week that maybe he'd be ready to play t- tonight against Calgary, but he won't be there. Kyle Connor is out, and Gabriel Velarde is out, uh, and Nate Schmidt, they're all out for tonight's game. But Cole Perfetti's back, which is nice. So we, we saw him leave late against Calgary uh, in the first game from a just a late, dumb, stupid hit. Uh, but he's back, which is good. Um, it, Velarde and Connor, they're sick, so they haven't been skating. And, and Nate Schmidt's been out for most of this training camp as well. So uh, Mason Appleton's back. He was dinged up a little bit at the end of last week. So we're going to see pretty close to the Jets tonight, right? Based on the line rushes yesterday, 
where you had Dylan and Pionk, Morrissey DeMello skating together. Um, you had Ehlers skating with Perfetti and, and Niederreiter, even though Ehlers isn't going to play tomorrow. So tonight's lineup is pretty close to what we're going to see, or ideally what we're going to see on opening night next week. And that's by design. We've known all along the veterans, the final two games of the preseason, it was going to be theirs. So let's see it. Let's see what they look like. Yeah, I've been concerned about this fact that Ehlers hasn't been able to get into a preseason game. He obviously missed a big chunk of last season as well. When Patrick Line got traded away from this team, I thought he had such an opportunity to just sort of claim a, a starring role in this lineup. And when he plays... He's very good, but you know you got to stay healthy. Availability is the the number one ability in pro sport, and Ehlers just isn't uh, just isn't living up to that part of it. I, I hope things change this year, Christian. Really quick before we let you go, got to ask you your reaction to the announcement on the weekend that Green Day will be the halftime show at the Grey Cup. I, I know you don't go to Grey Cups for the halftime shows. But uh, good move by the CFL or uh, uh, 10 years too late? I think it's fine. I mean, Green Bay, Green Green Day isn't what it necessarily used to be in terms of cultural impact, for sure. Like, if they got them in 2006, it would be an amazing get. Uh, in 2023, it's it's still... A, they've got a, quite a, a deep catalog of hits to bang out a good halftime show. And personally, as someone who's not a country fan... I understand that a lot of people are, and a lot of people that watch the CFL like country music, but I'd much rather see Green Day than Keith Urban. Let's just put it that way. Um, I applaud you for that statement. Although Loren <laughs> McNabb is turning up both of her nostrils at that. Well, Being silent. Teach don't don't stay silent. See, see. What are you no, thinking? I like Green Day, too. I loved Green Day when I was like 18 or 20 or whenever they were popular. I can't remember. That would be a good show, though. That should be a good show. I mean, they've been doing uh, terrific things. And a better show for Bombers are there too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, that goes without saying. Christian O'Mell, the host of the CJOB Sports Show, joining us live on the start. Christian, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. No problem. By the way, I watched Slapshot probably a little too young. Dad had to fast forward at certain spots strategically. Oh, Oh, yeah? Uh Uh-huh. Is that for the nudity or the swearing or all of the above? Or the fighting? It was mostly A. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. That's a good like pick. 10. I was like 10. That was probably too early, right? Probably. Yeah. Christian O'Mel, thank you very much for joining us, sir. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets to give away for heebie-jeebies, a VIP package for heebie-jeebies. And we're asking you about the movies that you should not have watched when you were a kid, or perhaps... You can tell us about the movies that your kids have seen under your watchful eye, like Jordo, who describes himself as father of the year while babysitting, watching my son, Dan, while the wife was out with her girlfriends. I let my 11-year-old son watch Terminator 2 with me, and he had nightmares for years, but I had no idea. When I found out years later that he had nightmares, I was devastated, and I felt terrible for my son, who went through some trauma because of my father of the year trophies I have won over the year <laughs> and I regret my decision to this day. Yeah, that's interesting because that movie is not a traditionally scary no. film, but it is intense and the idea that there's this thing that can change shape and come after you and can't be killed. That's scary. Well, it's also like the end of world ideas or you might like you might watch I don't know, what are those ones that have come out, you know, like about a po- 
apocalyptic times or like the world ends because of an environmental disaster. And you eventually, if you're with kids and they walk, they're like, can this happen? Yeah. Did this ever happen? So, you know, I, I think 25 years ago on the Terminator, you might have said, I don't think so. Watch that today. You might have a different answer. I was uh, the, re- the reverse. So I think I was 13 when that movie came out and my dad took me and my sister to see that movie oh. in the theater. Cause we, yeah, they, and he, I think it was, I think I can't remember if it was like a full, no kids allowed, or if it was a parental accompaniment kind of deal. Right. But we couldn't have gone to see that movie without him. Yeah. I remember that designation parental accompaniment, uh, the movie, uh, the day after it was a television movie about, mm-hmm. about nuclear war. And it was Lawrence, Kansas was actually the town that was depicted the day after, uh, a nuclear, a nuclear, uh, bomb had gone on, you know, basically the start of World War Three, And that one I know hit me really, really hard. It was difficult. I, I'm sure I had some bad, bad dreams after that one. The miniseries Holocaust hit me really hard. Uh, I think that's one that's a must watch. However, you know, there has to be some conversation because there are scenes from that that are meant to haunt you for the rest of your life. That's the purpose of a, of a movie like that is so that you never forget, but there are some that I might've been a little bit young for, uh, but I'll never ever forget or necessarily regret watching that miniseries. Jamie says, I watched the shining mm-hmm. at 12 and even that was too much, but my dad laughed at me for days. <laughs> That's a pretty scary movie. Like yeah. in a creepy slash scary way. And I even think of it as, as an adult when I don't know if I was 20 or 19, Blair Witch Project came out. That one stuck with me for days. Days. Oh, Blair Witch? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the ending for that was... Oh, I can see it right now. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the most jarring endings. Uh, and because, it, and A, that movie was such a novel thing, even because there were there were people who were like, is this yes. a true story? Lots yeah. of people I had were people leaving in the, the theater, theater saying, convinced. Yeah, girls yeah. behind me were like, I cannot believe those parents let them release those tapes. <laughs> and I exactly. was like, lady, come on, that's it's not real. But it, that's how real it felt. Yeah. Tannis with an interesting one here as well. And I guess I imagine a lot of parents probably have to have conversations like this, depending on the movies that kids might watch uh, somewhere else. And Tannis says, my nine-year-old came up to me and asked me, what is, um, uh, and she's paraphrasing, a very crude name of a lady part. I was appalled. Turns out my ex let her watch the uncut version of The Exorcist. Yeah. And I remember when I first watched that movie, I, I don't know if I was 10 or 11, and I was laughing <laughs> at things that, that, that were meant to be really like horrifying or uh, difficult, but because there were swear words, and words I wasn't allowed to say and typically wasn't allowed to listen to. I just sat there and giggled. You kept sure. looking over your shoulder for someone to get mad at you hearing those my words. Mo- well, my mom got mad at me f- because of the way I was reacting. Because the content, the story is very deadly serious and awful. And here I am giggling because they said the F word. And that's a natural reaction to that sort of stuff. Uh, off the air, uh, Caddyshack. See, once again, we've got this generation gap sometimes between myself and the two of you, but Caddyshack used to be on television all the time. Really? Oh, yeah. Unedited? Like, no, and that's the thing. And so I might have been in my 20s the first time I saw it unedited, oh, I and oh, I, didn't, wow. I didn't realize there was so much 
you would call it maybe now gratuitous nudity. And uh, um, I admit to enjoying it a little bit more when I was older and got to see the entire thing. How's this one? Todd and St. Boniface with a, this is actually a great one. The animated like Disney cartoon for Sleepy Hollow, the headless horseman ah. throwing the flaming pumpkins oh, yes. through the bridge. Yes. That is scary stuff. It's I'd still, agree. I find it really haunting. Mm-hmm. Um, Lion King with the uh, hyenas. Yeah. Those things are awful. Or watching him, like when he lets him go, when Scar lets him go, Scar falls to his doom. Yeah, that was, that'd be tough to watch Scar. when you're a kid. All those Disney cartoons always Jerk. had something bad like that happen. Always. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're asking you, what's a movie that you should not have watched when you were a kid? Like Loren mentioned that uh, she woke up and realized that her kids, her boys, 12 and 10, had just sat through Cocaine Bear. No, just the 10-year-old. I didn't oh. even let him watch it. with. And then the older brother came home and was like, what? I missed I Cocaine miss Bear. Cocaine Bear. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that detail earlier. <laughs> that was the worst. It was the youngest one. Just a really poor parenting decision where you just think. Because I woke up at one point and I was like, oh, like I'm so tired. Is this scary, buddy? Then he's just not answering. <laughs> I like, <laughs> fell back asleep. Oh, no. Um, so one of our listeners here weighing in with an interesting selection, the movie Cliffhanger. I was nine or ten, and seeing that woman fall stuck with me for weeks. Yeah, that was an intense scene. When I, when I, when I first saw that, I thought, holy smokes, they, dro- they actually dropped her, mm-hmm. and it looked really, like, well done. Yep. So that's that's Sylvester Sloan, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I know the scene. Yeah, and okay. then Shannon S. with another one weighing in. Interesting choice. When I was nine, um, I watched Red Dawn on TV. I wasn't allowed to watch it, but of course I did peek around the corner into the living room while my older siblings watched it. I was so scared and had nightmares. I'm 47, and I still have fears of red parachutes dropping from the sky. What is this? Patrick Swayze? Who's in this? Patrick Swayze is in it. That's the one where the... The Soviets invade, right? Yeah, the middle of Colorado, because that's where they'd go. Yeah, and then they, they had to, the, the teenagers had to band together and form the Wolverines! <laughs> I've never seen, I don't even know, I don't know anything about this. It's a good movie, actually. It, it, has, it also has, um, no, I don't know who that one is. <laughs> I, I was feeling like it was like a St. Elmo's fire fire type vibe. Rob Lowe? No. Yeah, Rob Lowe's Rob in Lowe, it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's got yeah. a great cast. Yeah. Uh, Runner up here is Brad. And we have had a couple of people weigh in with this movie, but I love the way Brad puts this. Brad says, I watched Revenge of the Nerds with my dad when I was in grade three. The next day, my mom got a phone call from my teacher who was laughing as I had shared (laughs) at show and tell that I had watched it and I saw naked boobies. (laughs) The things teachers must hear, hey? Like the the things they must get told by kids. Well, watch Kindergarten Cop. You'll get a good idea. Exactly. That scene is not far from reality, if not perfectly depict reality. My sister-in-law is a kindergarten teacher and she has some great stories on that front. But Loren Kent is our winner. What does Kent have for us? Many years ago, I watched Poltergeist. They're here. And after the movie, I was watching TV at home. And at that time, TV stations would not have programming 24 hours a day. And so when the channel would stop broadcasting, it goes to that fuzzy static picture. Just like in the movie where the TV took the little girl. When I woke up and saw the static, I froze remembering the movie but having no remote control, I had to turn the TV off by hand. <laughs> so I went to the side of the TV and reached over using a ping pong paddle to hit the off switch. 
So that because he didn't want to have the girl come out, right? Is that the idea? Yeah. And yeah. if you don't, if you haven't seen Poltergeist, Greg, you made the great point that it's like the movie, The Ring. The Ring. Yes, uh, it's been a long time since there's been a good movie in my mind that really scared you and sort of stuck with you. And The Ring is right at the top of the list for that. And Poltergeist and The Ring, I think, uh, the same sort of impact to just different generations. Yeah, being scared of the TV and what yes. might come out and when in The Ring. When Samara climbs out of that television towards the end of that movie, I almost died. Like, that was one of the scariest things I'd ever seen to that point in my life. So she comes out, and in Poltergeist, you get the little in. girl gets sucked in, right? Yeah. So there you go. That's a good one, Kent. Way to go, and way to come up with a creative solution to get that television turned off. So you win a VIP package for Heebie Jeebies. We've got more to give away throughout the week on The Star. Heads up that our question of the day has been updated at cjob.com. A record number of Manitobans voted in advance for the provincial election. Will this lead to a bigger overall voter turnout from the last election's 55%? Yes, no, or not sure. Cast your vote, cjob.com. And Decision Manitoba begins at 8 p.m. tomorrow. We will have your up-to-the-minute results and reaction all night long. Join us right here on 680 CJOB, or you can tune in to Global Television and the Global News live stream where you'll see our innovative interactive map with real-time results and on CJOB.com. When we arrived at the station this morning, we were met with the news that one of the greatest players in CFL history had passed away. Legendary Saskatchewan Rough Riders running back George Reed would have turned 84 years old today. From 1963 to 1975, Reed punished anybody that tried to tackle him. He was the league's leading rusher in six seasons, five of them consecutively. He rushed for more than 1,000 yards in Reed, played for 13 seasons in the CFL, all with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. From 1963 to 1975, Reed punished anybody that tried to tackle him. He was the league's leading rusher in six seasons, five of them consecutively. He rushed for more than 1,000 yards in 11 of his 13 seasons. In his career, he had over 16,000 yards in carries and 134 touchdowns. Reed received the Shenley Award for Most Outstanding Player in 1965. He was the All-Canadian running back nine times, made the All-West team ten times, and played in four Grey Cups, winning one. Just as important was Reed's contribution off the field. He spent countless hours involved in charity work. That work made George Reed the first winner of the Tom Pate Memorial Award awarded by the Players Association. George Reed became a member of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 1979. That audio courtesy the Canadian Football Hall of Fame and George Reed when he retired was the leading all-time rusher in CFL history. Mike Pringle would go on to break those records, but George Reed played his entire career with the Rough Riders, as you heard, and even I have to confess it is almost impossible to love the CFL and not have a great deal of affection for the late, now late, and always great, the greatest rough rider, George Reed. Clay Young joins us now in the studio. And Clay, you grew up a Rough Riders fan. I gave you a lot of grief about that for the first decade of our friendship and working relationship. But George Reed was a big part of your youth. Yeah, and I I was I, I got quite sad last night when I when I looked over at my phone and and I saw oh no oh no because I grew up with this guy right um, like I grew up you know I was born and raised in Regina and in Regina when you're born and raised the Rough Riders 
are God, right? So, you know, I, I learned all about them when I was, when I was very young. I, I still remember yelling and screaming, and I was saying to my dad, what's going on around me? The writers are being Calgary. And I go, oh, okay, is that good? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it was my, I think it was my 10th birthday, right? My family takes me out to Golf Steakhouse, which is the big steakhouse in Regina, right? Still there. Still there. So, uh, you know, this is exciting for a little kid. And I'm looking around, and I had bubblegum cards, CFL bubblegum cards, and I had George Reed and Ron Lancaster and, you know, a, b- a bunch of bombers, right, and everything. And I'm looking around, all of a sudden, I, I oh, my goodness, there's George Reed having dinner, right? So I'm tugging my dad, and I'm going, hey, hey, it's George Reed. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you don't understand. That is George Reed right over there. So little did I know that my dad knew George Reed, right? So eventually I had to go to the little boy's room, right? And I'm, you know, doing my business. And uh, I guess he went over, my dad, and he said, hey, George, you know, it's my kid's birthday. You know, he's, he thinks you walk on water. Can you, can you wish him happy birthday? Sure, where is he? Oh, he went to the, went to the, bar, uh, the can. So I still remember I was sitting there doing my thing, and all of a sudden, hey, Clay, happy birthday. And I look over, oh, my God, it's George Reed. And I never forgot that. So could you? (laughs) And I go rushing back to the table. I said, he he wished me happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, did he? Oh, that's interesting. I only found out later that my dad had went over and talked to him. But, uh, you know, I just, he was, he was my idol, you know. You know, they always talk about you should never meet your heroes, but so so often when people do, especially young kids and they're community minded like he was and they care very much about the team and the people around them, it's worth it. And I know that encounter perhaps wasn't, you know, full of conversation, but in in everything you learned about him, meet up to the hype of who he was in your mind? Yeah, it was like, you know, that that commercial, was it Pepsi or Coke? You know, the kid says he's he's looking up, he's Googling, Mean Joe Green. Oh, yeah, the yes. co- great and, co- commercial, and, yeah. And, you know, he, he said, Great game. Yeah, yeah, whatever, kid. And he just kind of walks away and, hey, kid. And he throws in the that same thing when I catch. met George Reed. Yeah, catch. Same sort of thing. I just, I was on cloud nine after I'd actually met him and he wished me happy birthday. But, but the story didn't end there. Okay. Oh. Yes. Well, Bob Irving, is it? does it have to do with this? Because well, I understand there was a yes. one so, set of surprise for you involving George Reed. So uh, as years went by, and I met Wendy, and Wendy got, and I got married, and she, she knew, was, I knew I was a Rough Rider fan. She said, so who's your favorite player? Well, it's George Reed. I mean, you know, he wished me happy birthday, and blah, blah. I told her the story of golfs. So Wendy, unbeknownst to me, phones Bob Irving. She said, hey, Bob, do you know George Reed? Well, of course I know George Reed. Bob was also born from in Regina. He says, what's up? He says, well, it's Clay's birthday coming up. And already I was, you know, at OB for a few years. Wouldn't it be something? And she explained the golf thing. And if, if George phoned him on his birthday again, sure, I'll see what I can do. So <laughs> I was remember we were over at Polo Park, right? And I was taping an interview that morning, right? And the red light is on. And all of a sudden, 
the door opens with well, the, the red light for the red, the, the yes. means you're on the air. I, and you're I'm doing recording. Do right? not enter. Right. And all of a sudden, there's there's Bob, and he he's looking at me, and I'm like, you know, I'm shh, and he goes, "Are you busy?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm I, I remember it like yesterday. I'm looking. At, Are you crazy? Of course yeah. I'm busy. And I I I turn my mic off. I go, Bob, I'm recording. Oh yeah, okay, sorry. And then within ten <laughs> within ten, ten seconds, Kevin Wallace, who was our PD at the time, all of a sudden opens the door and said. Hey, are you busy? And I was like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you got a really important call in the newsroom. Well, take a message, and when I'm done, I'll come out. Oh, okay. And the door shuts again. And seconds later, Bob again. Bob Irving is opening. Guys, there's a really important call here. <laughs> so I said, I said to the person I was interviewing, listen, someone's going, I got to take another call. I'm sorry about this. I'll call you right back. Okay, bye. So I go out into the newsroom and I pick it up, pick up the phone. I go, hello. Hi, is this Clay? Yeah, this is George Reed. I just called to wish you happy birthday again. What? <laughs> and I look over and Bob and Kevin are laughing. I said, did you set this up? He said, well, Wendy prodded me to do it, but I, I, I know George. And I said, is it really number 34? Really? Yes, it's me. Do you remember wishing me happy birthday when I was 10? Oh, yeah, sure. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very sad when I heard he died last night. Very oh. sad. I felt part of my youth had just left me. Really. Well, and, and, and you just outlined, I mean, not everybody gets... George Reed to phone them and wish them happy birthday. Well, no. Was that your 40th or, or, or that similar? Was, that was about 10 years ago. So I think I was, yeah, that was like I was 48. It was a milestone. And so, so but well, I never expected it, not in a million course. years. So not everybody has that on their list of interactions with, with their heroes and, and people. Like, but to me, the first story, that is life for a CFL player. But also life for a CFL fan, yeah. and I've said um, amongst everybody in this room, I think that's what makes the CFL so special: yeah. the accessibility and the connection that the players can make with the fans, and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I, I said every time I see Bob, every time I see Bob, and I still see him because he lives in the same area as I do. I said. I want to thank you again. And he says, oh, Clay, it was, it was, I, I still put, you killed me. You came into the booth both times. You're going, I know, I know. And I was going, something must be really up for Bob Irving to keep interrupting a, uh, an interview I'm doing here. Think how lucky you are when I hear these stories. You had your dad who knew enough to know to go up to him. Yeah. And you had your wife who, who created yeah. a special moment for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> there is a picture at home of my dad and George Reed and it's from the Regina Golf Club and it shows my dad worked at the Regina Leader Post right mm. the, the newspaper in Regina and there my dad is pointing his finger at the when they're in the golf course and the caption reads uh, Dale uh, Young pointing out his hole in one that he made the other day at the Regina Golf uh, of course, with writer and legend George Reed looking on. Now, George had retired a long time ago, like 20 years before, but they were both out there. But I'll never forget the look on George's face. It was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
No, really. This is where I hit a hole and run yesterday at the, the golf course. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I always kidded my dad about it. I said, George doesn't look convinced that we have a left. Did you really hit a hole and run? Yes, I wouldn't make that up. It was in the paper. Anyway. I can go on and on and on. <laughs> I've, I've now gone down a rabbit hole of trying to find some pictures for your dad. See if there's any I can go find that. Okay, I can go find do. that. Yes. Clay Young from Global News Morning joining us live to discuss the passing of CFL writers legend George Reed. Clay, thank you very much for that. That was wonderful stuff.